0: Good morning, Burlington Baptist Church. Good morning, It has been a while since I've been able to share with you, and I, am, uh, I have the pleasure of sharing with you today in the service. Um, I want to start off this morning by saying thank you uh, to my adults who went down and helped chaperone our weekly or our annual trip, spring break trip to Panama City. It's when we do our disciple now. And I won't lie to you, it's when you hope to get some sun and hang out on the beach and get to spend some time together as uh, the student ministry, and that we were blessed in that. Um, So I don't need you to feel sorry for me today in any way. It's been a good week. I hope your week's been good. I understood that it stopped raining and snowing right after we left. So if you want to donate money to the youth ministry because you think I took it away, I will gladly take donations from you. But uh, this week while we were down in Panama City, um, the students, we do our disciple now. If you know what that is, is we do a Bible study series specifically on a topic, uh, and we do it over the days that we're there. And we usually have worship in the evening or share time in the evening, and it, it just makes up for a great time. And our topic this year was following. And about four weeks ago, when I had settled in on following because I thought it was going to be for the students, I also knew that I was going to be preaching. And I said, you know, this is probably a great timely message that can be shared. Um, I have four characteristics that I'm going to share with you about followers today. And there are some times that we get caught up in the tradition and the pattern of the way we do church and the way that um, we have our relationship with God, and sometimes we take our eyes off of what exactly God is here as followers in christ and when I think about following in that term, I revert back to my childhood, which is becoming farther and farther in the past and one day, when I get to be the age of troy, I will uh, I just hope to remember some of my past. But, see, I can play that game, homie. Yeah. But one of the things that I'm reminded of is when I was about four or five years old, and a father who was a pastor, but we also bred and raised Angus beef and loved it. I, you know, it's one of those things I tell Kendra every once in a while. Kendra got to share in a little bit of that before we stopped after my mother passed away. But um, she got to share in a little bit of that. She got to share in it so much that the bull chased her around, if you want to know. She would go over with me to feed, and she would step over the fence, and quickly she was diving back through the fence. So that's about all she knew about. But when I was four or five years old, my father knew that if I was going to be a part of the family, business, if you want to call it that, that I was going to have to know how to do some things. So on a Saturday morning, he woke me up, and I remember it because it was a springtime ritual. And if you've ever brought up on a farm, you know what I'm talking about. You're coming out of winter where you've been feeding stock off of hay all winter long. And finally, the fields have started to green up. You might have helped it out by throwing some fertilizer on it. But as you do that, and they started to green up, then there was this time that we had to move the cows from one pasture to the next. Now, we always fed in my Uncle Raymond's field, and that meant that we had use of the barn. When we would move the cows, we would really move them across or down a rock road and then across the highway, and we'd have about 40 or so head of cow. The one thing you have to remember that springtime and cows mean that you have somebody said calves. Oh my goodness. And they are the most obedient animals on the face of the earth. You know, when I got out of the cattle business, I said those days are behind me. And God has blessed me with three teenagers. (laughs) They're so obedient, so loving, so gentle such a liar okay so my job when i was at that age was i was the swinger and what that meant was i would stand on the gate and when my father would call them and i'm not going to call them i did this week while we were down there at at, at uh, panama city i did it for the kids one day i can call cows and my dad would do it and all the cows would come walking out of that field and they'd come up to that fence and it was time to walk them through the gate and we'd get them there he'd go okay jeffrey and then I would swing that gate open and I would literally ride it because we had a double hinge gate and I would get on that thing and push with my foot and I'd swing that thing over got it to that edge I'd grab a hold of the fence and the cows would walk through then I got a little bit older my dad wanted to be the swinger of the gate and he says you're going to lead them and I'm sitting there going really? he goes yeah he says you're going to lead them and I started down the road, and the old mock cows are all following me. And you're just going, whoop, whoop, su- whoop, su- 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 whoop, You call them out, Molly, and you call out their name as you're walking down the road. And the mothers come along, and you won't believe this, but the calves did not listen and do what their mothers told them to do. <laughs> and they started to split off. And the cruelty of it is, I had a tobacco stick, and I, I would uh, gently remind them where they were supposed to be with my tobacco stick and I'd lead them over in that field. And just as soon as they would hit that field and they could smell that fresh grass, I can remember them taking off and just enjoying it and shooting in there. And they would eat until they would tip over because they were taken someplace. So following, when I sit there and think of my childhood, I think of things like that. When I think about following in the church, i think about the people that came before me. And there are four different areas in which I want to share with you today. And if you have your piece of paper, you will notice that I've put the blanks there, and I've also put the scripture there for you to follow along. But the first kind of follower that you run to in scripture is the willing follower. So that's your first blank, okay? We will take a test on this one, it's over. A willing follower. Now, it's pretty simple when you talk about a willing follower. They're people that they make choices in their life that when it comes to God, when it comes to their faith, that they're going to make those choices based on how that's going to affect their relationship with God. You guys are great examples of it. I know how I feel in the morning. And I guarantee you, there's some of you that if you weren't necessarily a follower of God, you might be someplace else right now. You might be in bed, might be on a golf course. You might be on a trip, on a boat. I don't know. It's going to be any reason. But wherever that would be, that would be where your will truly is and where you want to follow it. And today, by carving out this time in the week, it says something about you, and you have to have either some kind of expectation about your relationship with God, or maybe you have somebody that has a true faith in God, and maybe they brought you to church today because they wanted you to hear the good news. But this willingness brought us here. Now, I wish that I could tell you that everybody in this church, when they sit in the pew, want to be here. Because I can see people when they roll their eyes. I can remember people rolling their eyes when they find out that I'm going to preach. Two-hour sermons aren't up everybody's alley. I understand that. But still you have a willingness and you have a desire to have a closeness to God. The scripture that I chose to talk about the willing followers is found in the book of Acts. And it really deals with the beginning of the first mission journey for Paul. It says that when the Gentiles had heard this, They were glad and they were honored, the word of the Lord, and all who were appointed for eternal life believed. This was the first time the Gentiles were having the scripture shared with them. They're having the promise of eternal life offered to them following Christ. And as this is happening to them, they're delighted because they've heard everything about Jesus Christ, but they never thought it was for them. They always thought it was for the Jews. But the Jewish leaders incited God-fearing women of high standing and leading of men in the city. Now, there is never anybody inside of a church that ever incites anybody else, is there? If there isn't, you take me to that church right now. People like to pull. People like to have their own agendas. People like to have their thoughts. And they want to have their points always brought out. And I understand that. And there's passion in that. And if God's led them to that point, that's a different matter. But in this case, you have Jewish leaders that see what's happening. Paul and Barnabas are reaching out to another group of people outside of the Jewish faith. And they're sitting there going, this isn't right. We don't want them to contaminate a relationship with God. So what they did was... They went out and started up. Did you hear about this? Did you know they were doing this? And pretty soon, the people of power and position inside of that local church started talking. And pretty soon, they were pushing each other around. And pretty soon, they had turned on the two men. Goes on to say that they stirred up the persecution against Paul and Barnabas, and they expelled them from the region. Get out. It's not gonna happen here. Scripture says that they shook off the dust off their feet as a warning to them and then they went on to ask And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Paul and Barnabas were willing followers because in the midst of where the turmoil was beginning, instead of saying, I'm going to pick up my toys and I'm not going to play this game anymore, to heck with them, I'm going to go find another job, they stuck it out. Stuck it out to the point where they even left where they were because they knew that there were so many people that Jesus Christ had appointed them to go out and share his love with. And I love imagery. I'm a historian, got a degree in it. It's absolutely worth nothing. Nothing. As a historian, when I see imagery, it just it, it makes me salivate. And the imagery here is this: that Paul and Barnabas they take off their shoes and they shake off their dust. And this has appeared in other parts of Scripture. Jesus had told them just to knock the dust off their feet. But the imagery is that they were doing exactly what the Jewish people did. Up to this point in time in Jewish culture, when they were trading with Gentiles, people that weren't in the faith, one of their traditions was when they would leave that city, they would knock the dirt off, almost like leaving them behind and going back to their city. And with all of the turmoil that was being stirred up, they set out on a journey that began the early beginnings of the church that we sit in today. Churches were made up of so many different cultures. And I'm thankful for willing people that have gone before and have been used by God and placed in a place by God that they were able to share the word. I wrote this little note to myself about this. It says that God will call you to be his missionary, or to be on mission for him. And in my life, I can tell you that I have enjoyed some wonderful experiences like this. Sometimes it's the downfall of the church. And Kent was in here in the first service When we go to lunch, we have a lot of talks about a lot of different things. And one of the things that we talk about is things that people have said to us that just, it just doesn't fit. And we were sharing from our past years and years ago about people that would walk in and they would sit there and say, you get up there and you talk about going out and sharing your faith and winning people to Jesus. That's your job. That's what we pay you for. church people say that to you. And in the nicest, most reverent Christian tone, I remind them that if you're claiming the same promise of eternal life that I am, then we're all called to do the same job. And the church doesn't need to forget that. I hope your willingness just isn't to come and sit in a pew because one day you'll hold account for that in front of God. Hopefully, your willingness leads you to say, Wherever you lead, I'll go. Now, if you grew up in church like I did, that phrase will sing, won't it? Wherever he leads, I'll go. I'll follow my Christ wherever I go. And there's a lot of reasons why the church gets caught up in that because it's just comfort. It's not what we want. The second one is uncertain followers. Now, there's a lot of things that are uncertain in life. We don't know that when we leave here today that we won't draw our last breath. I can tell you that as I'm driving up and down the interstate, especially when we're hauling 40 or 50-so students up and down the highway, and you pass by accidents and you hear tragedy and stuff like that, it goes across my mind. And I think the students will tell you this because it's a reminder that I have a couple of things that I try to remind them of all the time, that I know that at their age, they don't think of the end of life. They don't, they're not supposed to. Anytime I go, to either perform or be a part of a funeral of a young person, the same statement is made over and over. This is not the way it's supposed to be, and I 100% agree, but it happens. And uncertainty is that thing that keeps us from, you know, putting all of our chips in, if I can use a bad gambling term. And uncertain followers... They're okay. Because we have examples of people in Scripture, and you can probably think of them. Moses. He didn't want to be a leader. He's sitting there talking to a bush that's burning, and it's not burning. And God is telling him the plan for him, and I want you to do this. And Moses is in an argument with God. Listen, he says, You know what? I'm not the person, I can't talk right. They're not going to follow me. You know where they come from. They know about me. They know my path. They're not going to follow me. And God had his way because he finally led them. How about David? Yeah, David messed up. He's like me. I wish I could tell you that I could go through a day or a week or a period of time without sinning, but it doesn't happen. You're looking at a person that is an admitted sinner in front of every one of you. And I'll tell you that all the time. And I beg forgiveness for my imperfection. But I get forgiveness from my God for my imperfection. But David, he's a little kid. And he's taking food up to the front lines. As he takes food up to the front lines, he gets up there and sees a bunch of adults standing around yelling at each other. I can do this, I can do that, but nobody's doing anything. And David felt the tug of his heart to do something that God had let him to do, which is to stand up to that mighty Goliath. Now, he's human. And I can tell you that I've been in circumstances where I've played a sport or been in a a position where I've got somebody that is very superior to me in some way. And I know what thoughts go across my mind. I can just imagine David walking up to Goliath and going, boy, I hope this works out good. There's got to be a little bit of uncertainty because we're human. We're bathed in sin. We've got the devil that tells us every day we're not worth it. We're not good enough. We'll never be good enough. And when we get to right on the precipice of being able to make a difference in somebody's life, he reminds us of something from our own life and says, you know what, if they knew this about you, they'd never listen to a word you said. He's good. He's good. He knows each piece of us. In Scripture, one of the most uncertain followers was one of the most certain followers. His name was John the Baptist. And in Matthew 11, 1 through 6, it says this, that after Jesus had finished instructing the 12 disciples, he went from there to teach and to preach in the towns of Galilee. When John, who was in prison... Heard about the deeds of the Messiah. He sent his disciples to him and said, Are you the one who has come, or should I expect someone else? Jesus replied, Go back and report to John what you hear and see, that the blind receive sight, that the lame walk, those who have leprosy have been cleansed, the deaf now hear, the dead are raised and the good news is proclaimed to the poor blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me when uncertainty seems to be creeping into your life when uncertainty seems to be that one thing that you can't account for go weak in your knees Get down and have a face to face and a heart to heart with our heavenly Father, because in that moment He is going to reassure you: you are exactly what you are supposed to be, and you are where you need to be. Now, ho ho ho! Be careful, because if you're not, my God will let you know that too. He'll give you that that uneasiness. And that means you might have to call a brother or sister in Christ and share with them and talk with them. It means that you're going to have to open up this book a whole lot more and find exactly what kind of a follower God wants you to be and where He wants you to go. But it's going to remove that uncertainty. Uncertain followers come in all kinds of packages. And with my uncertainty, I know the places that God has allowed me to go and serve, one of those was in England. And this summer, I will go back to England for the first time in several years. And then we're taking a group over, and we're gonna be working in Manchester. But the last time I was in England, I worked in a park with a missionary. And every day, we would have children come into the park, and they would play games, and we would tell them Bible stories, and we had them all day. Their parents would go to work and lock them out of their houses. And as uh, they would sit there, we had one young girl, I'm guessing she's 14, 15, 16 years old, and she brought her little brother, and she would sit on a fence, but she would never come down in the circle where we were talking about the Bible study, but her brother would. And what was amazing about that, they were Muslim. I have a dear friend in London, That I'm looking forward to seeing his name is Oscar. He's Muslim. He owns a bakery. Of all things, Jeff's got a friend with a bakery in London. Yeah. So anyway, (laughs) don't think, uh, Kent's right. I mean, I find places to eat and go. But anyway, um, as I would sit at lunch and talk with Oscar, I was telling him about this young lady. And it was funny because he was telling me what was really happening that she was sitting there listening and on our second to last day there she came off the fence and she sat down and she talked with the missionary and she said is the stuff that you tell me about Jesus Christ true and he says with all my heart he says I believe it I said, he's love, he's for everybody and she says I want to be a Christian Oscar said this to me he said the moment she said that they put a price on her head and the missionary was aware of this and he contacted the um, local authorities there because they, have a, they actually have a group of people that work with that. And they sat down and they started to talk about what was going to happen, but they knew the girl could not go home and that she would have to start another life over. And we were not allowed to ask her name or where she went. To this day, I don't know where she was. But her uncertainty was cured by the fact that a missionary said, with all my heart. Because she had told him that she did not know of a Savior or anybody that loved her that much. And how hard of a decision was it for her to make that, knowing that that was going to cost her everything? But she was willing to do it. So uncertainty necessarily doesn't mean a bad thing. Because here I'm standing on a stage in another country sharing the testimony about a young lady who stepped out on faith to follow our savior. It shouldn't be that hard for us. Supposedly we live in a free country. A lot of question about that these days. But do we as Christians take up the banner like that in our own country? And the answer is no. We sit in our churches like martyrs and we sit there and we sit there and think, somebody else is going to fix this. And I've got news for you. Listen, I told you I was a history major, history, political science. That's what I graduated with from Cumberland College. In my political science years and all the stuff i studied, I've never seen some of the characters that I see that are wanting to run our country. And it scares me. But it doesn't scare me enough to lose faith because I've got a savior that's already conquered this world. This week when we were down in Panama City, I asked the students, I said, we started a little bit of talking about politics and they were asking something. And I said, listen, I said, it doesn't matter who. I said, what do you guys think that a politician should be? And it was amazing because they said truthful. In a world filled with lies and attacks, they're looking for that truthfulness. Number three is the ultimate cost of following. Because you know what? It can cost us. I shared that with you about that young lady. It cost her her family. I know of people that their faith has cost them their jobs. People that had to make a decision that, am I willing to back down and not be so known about my faith, just to keep my job, or do I believe that God is going to deliver for me this and put me someplace else? I don't know if I've ever shared this before. I didn't share it in the first service, but I ran into a gentleman he was my boss at Fifth Third Bank and I remember that Mike had called me and asked me to consider to be the youth pastor here at the church and I went back into work that next day and I'm not going to use any names or anything but I went into this gentleman's office and I said you know I said I'm prayerfully considering which kind of set him off so, I'm prayerfully considering accepting this position. If it is, it's a full time position. And I'm going to be leaving the personal banking area. And he looked at me and he says, Why in the blank would you want to do that? And it just came over me like somebody poured a bucket of water. And I looked at him and I said, Because I want to help and reach people like you. Hello. <laughs> I did get to finish out my two weeks. No, it, was, it wasn't that bad. And you know what? He wasn't such a bad guy. Bad timing. It was Y2K. They were all afraid that the whole world was coming crashing down. You guys remember that? Y2K? People making millions writing books about something that never did happen. If I ever hear the word Gregorian again... I will go crazy because our whole job at Fifth Third Bank, we spent a year and they paid me handsomely to make sure that all their dates had changed from Julian to Gregorian and from Gregorian to Julian so they wouldn't crash. They had a backup on both sides of it. So it was a bad year for them, 1999. (laughs) And I walked out of that office and I sat down and I said, wow. I said, I've been praying about it didn't know what I was going to do, and God gave me the answer in a moment. And then the real prayer started. Please, God, help me go home and tell my wife that I'm leaving the job and I'm going into ministry because her mother had warned her about that I don't know how many times. Poor Sonia, Kendra, don't marry him. He's going to be a minister. <laughs> and everybody, th- everybody sat there and laughed about that, but that wasn't the reason. It was because Kendra can't cook chicken And she couldn't make sweet tea. That's what she said to you sitting at the dinner table. My wife can make wonderful sweet tea. She knows it just has to come in a Cane's cup nowadays. Um, So when I'm sitting there thinking about the ultimate cost, a job might not sound like a lot, but in today's standards, it can cost people a whole lot. It can mean a lot. In the scripture that I chose, and I'm not going to read all of it, but it deals with the story of Stephen. And you've heard this before. That here is a young man. He wasn't an evangelist out for years and years and years. This is a young man in his faith that loved God so much that when he was questioned and it was put to him and the people had gathered around him, he would not back down in his faith. And he finally incited The leaders of the church so badly that they drug him out, and they stoned him. And the the key isn't about the stoning, because that's a tragedy, yes. The key is what happened to Stephen while it's going on. Scripture says says he lifted his eyes to heaven, and he saw his God. There's even a part in that scripture that talks about the fact that when they looked at his face, he had the face of an angel. So he wasn't by himself. And the heavens opened up to him, and he realized that God was exactly where he said he was going to be. And the ultimate cost of his life was a little bit, because again, here we sit in a church today, all these years later, Remembering someone that died for our faith. Where are you? And what price is too much for you to pay for your faith in God? And I wish that I could tell you that everybody is, you know, on board And everybody has a ton of faith. But let me just share some statistics with you. This was a 2001 Gallup poll. They went into the churches and they asked the people in the church Do you consider yourself a real follower? Are you fully committed to your faith? And when they finished this big Gallup poll over that year, it came out to 17% of the people in the church said yes. This isn't unbelievers. This isn't people that are sitting out in parks or playing golf on a Sunday. This is the people that are sitting in the pews just like we're doing today. And I realized that cross-section is influenced by region, by faith practices, and all that stuff. 17%. Heck, I'm dumb and I never scored a 17% or lower on any of my tests. And yet, we're sitting there talking about the ultimate cause force. But it really boils down to we want what's at the end but we're not so much committed to what we have to work through in the meantime. Now, I will tell you this, that when I read this, I'm sitting there going, that's not my church. It's not my church. I believe that the people that are here at Burlington Baptist Church blow these numbers way out of the water. But even if it's 75%, or 80%. It's the kind of statement that scares me not only as a minister but as a father of three children because what that tells me is one of my children if I just go by statistics is pretty much certain going to hell even though they say they have faith. And even though I don't always say it or show it, I love my children. I have to point at her when I say that, because mm, you're always on them. You know, this week while we were down in Panama City, one of the things that I thought was a long way off happened. Many of you know that my oldest son, Brett's graduating here in four weeks, and I can remember when he was born. He's been in the youth group all through, and watching him come up and be raised through the church and now he's getting ready to set out on his own and that comes with its own fears and doubts and stuff like that but I'm sitting there and I know that he is where he wants to be when he's here and it makes me feel good gives me peace as a person There is probably somebody in your life that you know doesn't have that kind of peace and they're just waiting for someone to talk to them. And if it means that something in your life has to change, let's just lay it out on the table. If something in your life has to change in order for the message of how much Christ loves you and what he's done in your life gets to that person, then please, by all means, begin to change or at least ask God what needs to change. The devil doesn't need any more help putting more hindrances in this world for people. What he needs us to be is true followers of him and every word that we say is about God and about Jesus Christ and through Christ. And you know what? I couldn't have been here unless it was the faith that I have in this. You know what? That needs to be the stuff that's spewing out of our mouths all the time. commitment costs to be a committed follower is going to cost you something So just know that going into the game the last one that I have for you following when things don't look so good I said that in the first service and I could hear some people chuckle There have been times in my life when a lot of things haven't looked good. There's a lot of times I go look in the mirror and things don't look good, okay? Mm -hmm. And you know what? Same God that created me, created me in a certain way in which he's able to use my talents, the gifts that I have. I don't have all the answers for everything on the face of the earth. I wish that I could answer everybody's question, but a lot of time I say, you know what, we need to sit down and we need to open the Bible up together. I said, because I don't want you learning something that I need to know too. When things don't look good in your life, when it seems like the world's falling apart, there's examples of that in the scripture also when things look their toughest And if you look in the book of Luke chapter 7 verses 1 through 10 see the story of someone who shouldn't have had faith in God and shouldn't be trusting Christ doing exactly that and it reads like this. When Jesus had finished saying all this to the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum. There a centurion's servant, whom his master valued highly, was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some of the elders of the Jews to him and asked him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, They pleaded with him earnestly. This man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and he has built our synagogue. So Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent his friends to Jesus with a message. Lord, don't trouble yourself for I don't deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell you this, go, and he goes. I tell this one, come, and he comes. I say to the servant, do this, and they do it. And when Jesus heard this, and I want you to listen to this. When Jesus heard this, it says, he was amazed. Now, some of you in this room are sitting there going, well, wait a minute, Jeff. He's Jesus, the son of God. He can't be amazed. I'm not saying Jesus didn't realize what was coming. I'm saying that his reaction was astonishment because he had somebody that was in authority. And if you know anything about the times, you're talking about the Roman authority, the soldiers. And at times that they were very brutal. If you stepped out of line, there was pretty much one penalty. Many ways to get there, but they all ended up with death. And he was in charge of soldiers, so there's people watching over him and the things that he did. And he had a commander that he reported to and they reported all the way up the line right to Caesar. But in this moment, in these words, he shared his faith in who Christ was at that moment because he says, I'm not worthy. And Roman soldiers don't do that. They don't lower themselves to the point where they're trusting in some carpenter who walks around and heals people. As you finish that scripture, you find out that Jesus stopped there, and after he was amazed, there was no need to finish the journey because the servant was healed and brought back to life. Guys, when we sit around as followers, there's a lot of things that we have to take for granted. We take for granted the fact that we're brought into this place because this is where we're supposed to be every Sunday. It's a tradition. We take for granted um, we're going to all read out of the Bible and things like that. But faith and following God is a lot more than that. It is in those moments when you're away from this place when you don't necessarily have your word that you've read that scripture and you've placed it in your heart and at that moment you're able to share that love from a loving father with that person. And it's with those moments when you sit there and you go, where in the world did those words come from because they're not mine? It's what I say every time I preach. See the notes? All they are is what you have. And before I stand up, any time I get ready to speak, whether I'm in front of the students or in here, I pray to God and I said, listen, let these words be your words. Let my thoughts be captured by you and let my thoughts be yours. Because you know what you want to say, God. And today what he wants to say is that He appreciates the fact that we come together every week and we follow him and we sing the songs. But there's so much more that we can accomplish if we trust God. And it's not from getting members from another church. I don't want members from another church. I would like to reach the 15,000 people within five miles of here that don't have any relationship at all with Jesus Christ. Because we all know church people but we're more unwilling to talk to the people that don't know Christ. And as true followers we need to get over that and begin that to make our faith. It all boils down to this that God's track record matters. In our lives, if you've read anything in here, you see that God has loved us over and over again. And he does everything he can to pull us back to him. He stands beside us in the trouble. His track record matters. The last thing I want to share with you is this story I read yesterday, a very short story about the Navy SEALs. Some years ago, they went in to um, pull out some hostages in a hostile area. And when they got there, they got to the compound, found the house where they were housed, walked inside, no lights on, they could see them huddled in a corner. They opened up the door and said, we're here to save you, come on. And they wouldn't move. And they stood there for about five minutes and they were talking to themselves, we've got to get out of here, extraction's got to happen, we're on a timetable, what's going to happen? And one. Of those Navy SEALs, took off all of his jackets, laid down his gun, and he walked over to the other side of the room where they were huddled in the corner. And he crouched down and huddled up and balled up in a ball. And slowly over the next few minutes, he leaned on that person that was huddled up against that wall. And after a few minutes passed, he just turned to them and whispered to the person and says, it's okay. I'm here to save you. I'm going to take you home. And when he had said that, he stood up. And that one hostage that he whispered that in the air stood up beside him and began to walk to the door. And pretty soon the rest of them saw that and they stood up. They brought them all home safely. Such imagery, but it's so true. That today, our Savior says the same thing to us. Wherever you are in life, whatever struggle you're going through right now, if you've got pain going on in your life, He is saying to you, It's okay. I'm here to save you, I want to take you home. And maybe you've never heard those words before. Maybe you've never heard it said to you and now you can hear it echoing in your mind. But it is the message that Christ offers to us every day. And we as followers have to be like that Navy SEAL to lay down all of our weapons and all of our pain and all of our scars that we carry with us. And crouch down to the person that we know that is thriving in pain and whisper in their ear, it's okay. He loves you. And he wants to take you home. If you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, I'd love to talk to you about it. I'll be down here in the front. And as we talk about the things that are possible in your life and you, you understand the struggles, you're going to find out that you're never meant to go through any of this stuff by yourself. Maybe you don't have a church home. I love this church, not because I'm employed here, because these people love on people. The one thing I can tell you is that today, their willingness and their openness to love on you is without bounds. So maybe you want to come and talk about that. But today, as we get ready to sing, maybe. You really don't want me to sing, damn. <laughs> as we get ready to sing, take a moment and just ask God, what is it about me being a follower that I can work on? Where is it that you can lead me so I can find my purpose in life? Maybe it's just simply coming down today and you need to have a one-on-one, a heart-to-heart talk with God. The steps are open. There's willingness just to ask you, just be truthful with me. Let me love on you. Because that's the hope of our Savior.